Today, we are in week three of the sermon series, Binge Reading the Bible. We're going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we're looking at some of the major themes of the Bible. And we don't have time to touch on every single book in the Bible because there are a lot of them that would take 66 plus weeks to go through the whole Bible. Um, But I'm hoping that we can touch on the major themes so that we can see that the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. Um, The first week, we looked at Genesis, and we saw that God brings order out of chaos. And then last week, we saw that God is faithful, and we learned that if God was faithful then, we could trust God to be faithful in our future. And this week, we are going to finish up the Old Testament by looking at the prophet Jeremiah. In last week's message, the Israelites, they were headed to the promised land. And we know that God is faithful, and so God was faithful in bringing them to the promised land. They spent many years there, and they had kings and judges, and King Solomon built this great temple. You can read all about it in the history books and the Bible, and there's also these, these books of wisdom literature or poetry books and psalms, and we're going to skip right over all of those to save time. I think I could do a whole series on the psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job and all of those, but today we're going to go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 1 and 4 through 14, if you have your Bible... You can turn there with me. And today I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the word. If you're able, this is a long passage. So if you're unable, please stay seated. But hear the word of the Lord today. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to Jerusalem, to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Skipping down to verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may have recognized one of the verses in that passage. Some of you may recognize several verses, but one of those verses is probably one of the most popular Bible verses in the Bible, if not, or maybe just the most popular verse in Jeremiah, and that's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's, for I know the plans I have for you, 
declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But did you catch the verse before it? It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. It says, when 70 years have passed. Can you imagine somebody making a promise to you and telling you that they will fulfill that promise in 70 years? I don't know about you, but I don't know that I will still be around in 70 years for this promise to be fulfilled. This verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is often used on bumper stickers and calendars because it is a great verse. It's a reminder of God's sovereignty. But Jeremiah here is writing a letter to a bunch of exiles in Babylon. The Israelites had been taken from their home. They had been taken from the promised land, and they were scattered among Babylon. The Babylonian Empire was the world power of the day, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he had people taken from Israel, especially the ones who were highly skilled and well-trained. The story, you may be familiar with the story of Daniel and the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were all exiles that were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. And during this time, there were also false prophets. There were false prophets that told them that this was all going to be over soon. They were predicting the fall of Babylon. They were saying that they would all be able to return to Jerusalem soon. But Jeremiah here, he's saying the opposite. He's telling them to build houses, to settle down, to plant gardens, to eat what they produce. In other words, he's saying it's going to be a while. And it's time to make the most of it. Unpack your bags, settle down, and seek the well-being of those around you. Because Jeremiah says, pray to the Lord for it, because if they prosper, you too will prosper. But how can they seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon, an ungodly city, a city where they worship other gods and other kings? When I was working on this sermon, I originally wrote a different sermon, and late last night I, I told Austin, I think I need to rewrite it. And so I got up and I rewrote the sermon because originally I was going to talk about the dangers of taking scripture out of context. There's this joke that says, when you take the text out of context, you're left with a con. <laughs> I feel like that's a Pastor Ralph joke. <laughs> you take the text out of context and you're left with a con. And I think Jeremiah 29 11 often gets taken out of context. Another verse that often gets taken out of context is Philippians 4 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of my favorite stories of someone taking scripture out of context is my friend Jeremy, and he gave me permission to share this story. Jeremy is a marathon runner, and if you've ever run a marathon, which I haven't, but I hear it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of training, and it requires a certain level of physical stamina. And so Jeremy, he was training to run this marathon. But what Jeremy didn't know was he has this physical condition where he sweats a lot. And he sweats so much that he needs to rehydrate while he's running. Those, those drink stations along the marathon run are not enough for him, so he has to wear a backpack. But on his first run, he tells this story where he was running, and he starts... He starts fumbling and he starts throwing up because he's dehydrated. And his friends are telling him to, to get off, to go, to go to the medic. But he says, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he keeps running. And he's running with this determination. And finally, he passes out and his friend calls the ambulance. And so the medic comes and they're trying to get him into this ambulance. And he says, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as he's falling down, his buddy grabs him by the arm and says, Nobody, you can't. They put him in the ambulance, and it was so bad that he needed IV fluids. And I think that that's a perfect example of how we can take Scripture out of context. When the Apostle Paul wrote that, 
wrote that when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he was talking about his circumstances. Whether well-fed or hungry, in plenty or in want, he had learned the secret to being content in any and all circumstance. He was not talking about running a race while being dehydrated and under-trained. Sometimes there are physical limitations. And just like Philippians 4.13, Jeremiah 29.11 can be taken out of context. Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles. So what does it mean when Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What are those plans? Those plans are for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may have heard the phrase before that Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. That means that we are to participate in the world. We are to plant seeds. We are to build houses. We are to get to know our neighbors. We're to spend time with them. We share with them God's blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And so we pray for the peace and prosperity of those around us. And sometimes it's the pray and go, praying in front of the house and putting on the, the door handle, not the door hangers, <laughs> not doorknobs. Uh, I had a pastor friend tell me once that we're not supposed to love the world. And I disagreed with her because I said, God so loved the world, and I think we are to love the world too. We're to love those around us. But I also agreed with her that there's a danger. As we discussed a few weeks ago, we are shaped and formed by those around us. If we have the wrong people around us, we can be shaped and formed in the wrong ways. And this is why it's important to read scripture, so that we can be shaped and formed by God's word. This is how we are to be in the world, but not of the world. There's a danger of being in the world and becoming like the world. This is something that the prophets are warning against in all of the books of the prophets. Because how will we, but I also wonder, how will we ever reach the lost if we're not in the world? When I was little, my parents sent me to a private Christian school. I was there for 13 years from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And I can remember when I was little, I didn't know very many non-Christians. We would talk about evangelism, but everyone I knew went to church, so I didn't know who to evangelize. How can you reach others for Christ when you don't know any non-Christians? And I remember when my youngest was five, I was worried about putting him into the public school system because I had never experienced that. But we couldn't afford private school. And also, private schools aren't as common out west. There's very few. It's mostly public schools. And so we have limited options. And so I put him in public school, but I also worried. It was something I had never experienced before, and I worried about who his friends would be, what influences would be on his life, what, what the teachers might teach him. But I also realized that we can influence those around us. It's okay to be out in the world and in public schools because that's how we influence the world for Christ. And just like Jeremiah said, if they prosper, we too will prosper. I don't know what it's like to be in exile in Babylon, but I do know what it's like to be surrounded by people who don't believe in God. Eugene, where I lived for the past 14 years, is a post-Christian society. And I imagine New York is not all that different. There are many people who are non-Christians around us, and not only are they non-Christians, there are many people who are straight-up hostile to Christians. I have a friend back in Oregon named Abby, and I remember when I met her, I was helping her with some social media for a nonprofit, and we sat down at Starbucks, and she was sharing her story with me. And I just sat there, and I listened, and we were, we were getting along great, and finally she looks at me, 
for me to tell her my story. And I tell her that I'm an evangelical Christian and her jaw dropped. She audibly gasped because she could not believe that she was sitting at coffee with an evangelical Christian because she was Jewish and her family had taught her not to trust Christians. And I've known her now for five years and we're, we're great friends. She's had me over to her house many times. And so one of the questions we wrestle with that I think Jeremiah addresses in this letter is how do we live and minister among those who think differently than us? How do we minister to people who don't want to hear the message of Christianity? How do we minister to people who are straight up hostile to Christianity? And this is where Jeremiah and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is where they are an example to us. Jeremiah, he says to seek the peace and prosperity of a people, of a culture that holds different values and morals than him. But how do we do that without compromising? And so you might be familiar with the story of Daniel and the lions then. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four men, they were a part of the Babylonian exile. And they lived among the Babylonians. They even took on Babylonian names. They wore Babylonian clothes. And they had Babylonian jobs. In many ways, they were absorbed into the culture of the Babylonians, but they knew where to draw the line. They held to their Hebrew scriptures and commandments. They refused to bow down to idols. They refused to worship someone other than the one true God. They stuck by their beliefs and values, and it nearly cost them their lives, but God delivered them. And we don't, we don't face those same dangers today, at least not in the United States, but I think we can learn from them that they didn't compromise their values. They also didn't revolt against their leaders. They took a third way, a way of quiet, loyal <coughs> subversion. They sought the peace and prosperity of the city. I heard a story a few years ago, and I don't know if the story is true. I think it might be. I'm not sure it's a preacher story, so you never know. You never know. Um, but the story goes that there was a man standing in a large parking lot, and he's looking for his keys. And it's dark, but there's this big, bright light, a parking lot light there, and he's looking for his keys, and it's clear that they're nowhere to be found. And so a police officer comes up to try to help the man. And the man, in the story, he may have been drunk, but it's clear that there's no keys in this parking lot. And so the police officer asks the very obvious question of, well, where did you lose your keys? And the man, he says, I lost them down there. Over in front of my house, I lost them way over there. And so the police officer, he says, well, why are you looking for your keys right here if you dropped them down there? And the man says, because the light's on here, it's stuck over there. And it's a funny little story, but I think sometimes that's the way churches function. We think that we can find the lost under the light of the church when really they're out there in the dark, scary places. And sometimes that's where we need to go to minister to the lost. I read a quote the other day from Madeline Engel. It's in one of her novels. She writes, I was asked how we could pray for our planet. With the devastating wars which are tearing it apart, with greed following the air we breathe and the water we drink. And I replied that the only way I know how to pray for the body of our planet is to see it as God meant it to be. In the spring, the early spring, during the height of the Falcon crisis, I knelt on the damp earth planting onion sets. Planting onions that spring was an act of faith in the future, for I was very fearful for our planet. And I love that quote, that planting onions that spring was an act of faith in the future, for I was very fearful for our planet. 
I think that's the message here. In the midst of an unknown future, we plant seeds. In the midst of a hostile world, we plant seeds. We grow our family. We invest in our community. We see the world as God meant it to be. We might not see the end results in our lifetime, but we invest in the future. We have faith in the future. And this is why we pray the Lord's Prayer where it says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in Canastota as it is in heaven. Your will be done in Madison County as it is in heaven. Your will be done in New York as it is in heaven. Your will be done in the United States as it is in heaven. And I thought today to close out the message, we could say the Lord's Prayer together. And I know there's different versions of the Lord's Prayer, so say whatever one you're most comfortable with. Um, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Lord, thank you for these people, for this community. And I pray that we will take this message to heart for Jeremiah, that we will seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have planted us, that we will seek their well-being because we know if they prosper, we too will prosper. Lord, I pray that we will be unafraid to go into the dark areas of our world so that we can bring your light, so that we can bring your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And I pray a blessing on these people, and I pray a blessing on this potluck that's about to happen, Lord. I pray that you will be with us this week, that your hand will be present, that we'll know you are there. We know you are always there, but sometimes we don't feel you. And I pray that we will feel you this week, that we will know that you are there, that you are with us, Lord. And we thank you for all that you do in our lives, Lord. We give all the praise and glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.